my lovelies and welcome to the Miss Saye Show. Today I have one of my favorite people, uh, Kelly Girardi. She's a science communicator and she's a space professional. Welcome to the show, Kelly. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am so excited to have you because we definitely need more uh, women in space and just seeing you and for younger generation to see you, it's inspirational and what you see is what you believe. So thank you for existing. Oh, uh, thank you. Thank you, Kelly. There's so much to talk about. I would like to open up talking about your book. Uh, and I love the title. It's not necessarily rocket science. It's awesome. I read it. I very much enjoyed it. Can you tell us what inspired you to write that and tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I wrote not necessarily rocket science because I was not a natural fit for the space industry. I came from an arts background. I actually have a film degree. And so this uh, this career path was not an obvious choice for me. And for a long time, for many years and growing up, I didn't realize that it was something that I could be a part of. I thought, you know, that space was reserved for this extraordinary, hand-selected, highly trained elite group of people who could contribute, the real brilliant, you know, scientists. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and as I got older, I understood that, you know, I was reflecting on the Renaissance, actually, and thinking about how art in the Renaissance was only one manifestation of this new way of thinking, but that cultural innovation was also happening across technology and medicine and law and, you know, philosophy and even warfare. And so I was reflecting that Similarly, engineering right now is just one small slice of life in the space age. And that similarly, we will need a broader, more diverse skill sets. We're seeing innovation happening across all of these other sectors. And we need artists, engineers, and everyone in between to contribute to humanity's next giant leap. So combining all of those messages and also sharing about my career journey, which I'm happy to talk about as well, but that was really what, what the book was intended to convey. Everyone can play a part in the space industry and you don't have to be a rocket scientist to do so. Incredible, yes. By end of your book, I did get that message and it was very inspiring. You even at some point talked about, like right now we have cruise ship entertainers we have to think about one day we will have spaceship entertainers and we need, if everyone could have to take a part and uh, it's not, as you said, reserved for elite group of people as you did it yourself. You're a living example of becoming part of the uh, space industry and being a leading woman and you didn't have a space background. So um, your background was film, as you mentioned, but you have this passion for space. So you followed your passion and you worked really hard at it. It wasn't definitely from what I've, I've been following you for years and from reading, it wasn't you got lucky. It, yeah. You really, really worked hard. You took it seriously and you went extra miles and you made it happen. And uh, I, I am, uh, I'm so happy that someone like you exists so we can show our children and say, look, look at this woman. She did and she is uh, involved with space. So can you please tell us in your own words a little bit about your career and how it became? Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I started out thinking, you know, that maybe, maybe there was a way that I could get involved in some way in the space industry after college. I had met some people who were really inspiring to me, but I never dreamed that I could get this involved, right? And so it was really, really surprising and motivating to understand that it is possible. And so over the past 10 years that I've worked in the commercial space industry, 
I have held roles in media, in policy, in communications, and then also in business development. I led business development for a rocket company. I led operations and then uh, have been really working on research for the past few years myself, flying in microgravity, uh, wearing commercial spacesuits, evaluating them, conducting research in zero G. And so that's really been just filled with pinch me moments of, I can't believe that I get to put on a spacesuit and be a part of this next giant leap. And I have also been able to switch my thinking. I now truly know that space flight for me is a when, it's not an if. I will fly to space in the next few years. And, you know, it's something that I I just can't even come to terms with yet because it is such a wild dream. But I, I think one of the things you mentioned that I wanted to touch on was, you know, related to imposter syndrome in this, because it was something that was really, you know, core to my own career development. It was a lot of hard work. It wasn't luck. But I think the biggest part was overcoming my own imposter syndrome. That was the thing that really stood Mm -hmm. in my way, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's sometimes a comfort, also unfortunate that some of the most accomplished people I know suffer from chronic self-doubt. And so what I learned and what helped me was that there's a big difference between being an imposter and being an outsider. And that was really critical to change my thinking when I was trying to break into the space sector. And I think the difference is that being an imposter would mean I was forging a career in an industry that I had no right to be in. But being an outsider just meant that I had a lot of work to do to earn my place and build credibility. And I just think women are especially vulnerable to this. Uh, You know, you see it when it comes to applying to jobs. It's the difference between thinking, oh, I've got expertise in everything except that bullet. So I'm unqualified instead of thinking I've got most of this and I'm confident I can pick up the rest on the job. And we know if you wait until you're 100 percent confident in your abilities, you'll miss all of the opportunities that could actually help you reach expert status. Sure. Guys are much better when it comes to that. They're like, I'm not good at all this, but I'm good at this one. I got this. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I think women are uniquely vulnerable to, to that trap of thinking. Yes. Um, another thing in your book I love uh, about what you did, um, about the panels. You were organizing these panels. And at some point you said, if the panel, it's not equal, you don't have no, enough women or it's all men, you were, you were not for that. So can you please tell us how you further the uh, diversity and inclusion as you were working your way uh, in space industry. Yeah, absolutely. And look, for context, we have come a long way in this industry, but there's still so far to go. And when you think about the numbers just before the panels to paint a picture of what representation looks like, you know, less than a thousand people, humans in history have ever traveled to space, but only 11% of those have been women. And so there's a great disparity and far fewer have been people of color. So we really do see disparities across gender breakdowns, racial breakdowns. And um, you see that play out also on panels and at conferences. When you look at the panel of experts who are speaking on a topic, who are tasked with making decisions and, and talking about the next steps, you will find that there in the past have often been all male panels. And that was the norm when I joined the industry. And after a a few years of that, you know, my big break in moment was getting more and more frequently asked to moderate those panels, which was still a, a frustration to me, not because I felt like I needed to be the panelist every time, but because I knew that there were other, you know, different voices that could also be a part of those conversations and discussions. And so I did put a stake in the ground and 
refused to moderate any all-male panels. And that's been a few years now. And things have changed pretty dramatically. I think now, you know, they do, conference organizers are looking through different lenses and a more evolved approach to representation and ensuring that they are looking to find diverse voices. And I think it's really important. Yes, I mean, uh, it's wonderful that you didn't just go with the flow. You're like, this is not right. I want to do something about it. So I am my... Uh, little action in this movie that I refuse to have all male panels. So that's awesome. You mentioned that if 5% of the people travel to space, our world changes because their perception changes. What does that mean? And how did you come to that uh, analogy or understanding? Yeah. So author Frank White in the 1980s coined this term, the overview effect. And he called it that because he was understanding that people who traveled to space, astronauts, were reporting this cognitive shift in perspective when they came back home. So an astronaut who went to space and looked down at the Earth were reporting that it really changed their lens, that they looked at society and the rest of the world with. It was a total cognitive shift in perception. And he called that the overview effect, to, to see the world from above and to see all 7 billion of your fellow humans down below and you from afar. It was really something to grapple with. Wow. And so I think as we've seen, you know, different people share their perspectives over the past 50 years of space exploration, what we've seen is people walking away from the experience of spaceflight coming back home to their communities and, and to their own groups and families and followers and supporters and being able to share this experience in a really unique way. And I do believe that there is this potential to get an even broader swath of the population. And when you think about it, right, these, these were engineers largely or military folks, military engineers. And so if you think about the future that was in the past, now we've had more academics, but we are at the point where we are not going to be sending only engineers in the future. So what will it mean to send the poets, the athletes, the musicians, you know, the, the really creative folks who are going to take that experience and translate it for the masses in a way that we've never seen before. Also, uh, one more catchy, uh, there are lots of things about your book that I love and I have this whole list that I want to ask you. Um, uh, you said, it, space exploration is not just exploration. It's beyond exploration. It's a necessity. Our planet has an expiration date. Um, could you elaborate a little bit more on that and how you, how you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I can share a quick anecdote too. I actually had uh, the privilege to meet with Professor Stephen Hawking while he was still alive. I was organizing... Oh, yeah, he's amazing. He was amazing. How that and experience? How did it feel, Kelly? It was incredible. And, you know, as, as many people know, it does take a lot of effort for him to communicate in carefully choosing words for a computer generated voice. And I think it made it that much more precious to understand the effort that was behind each word when he's speaking to you. So it, it was really profound. One of my career highlights was contributing a chapter to his children's book, George and the Blue Moon. Um, so I had the enormous privilege to, to know him as a friend. And I, I'll get to the question in a second, which was, you know, life on earth has an expiration date. But since we're on the topic, I'll, I'll share one quick vignette about Professor Hawking. And that was when I, I was at his 75th birthday party. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking around the room at the guests who were there 
And it just struck me that this room was full of such a diverse group. There were everyone from, you know, the academics who you might expect, the most brilliant minds, but also actors and actresses, film stars. It was just everyone in between. And so it just struck me that this was such a good illustration of a life well lived with such a diverse group of friends from different backgrounds. And I just think he really left his thumbprint on the entire world and humanity is better off because of it. But for sharing that, that experience with us. I'm a yeah. fan of him and I'm so glad you got to have him as a friend. Exactly. And the reason I brought him up in the first place was I did have the opportunity to pose that exact question to him about this sort of expiration date. And so I was asking him about the question of urgency in space exploration and to share his beliefs on space settlement and space exploration. And he said that not to leave planet Earth would be like castaways on a desert island, not trying to escape. And he said, sending humans to other planets will shape the future of the human species in ways that we don't yet understand. And it may determine whether or not we have any future at all. And then because he is such a funny person and he was so full of mischief, he added, if there was an asteroid on a collision course with Earth, not even Bruce Willis could save us. <laughs> and so it, it was a great point. And, you know, it, it's really interesting because I think I, I share this with Professor Hawking. He was not pessimistic about the future of our species. He was someone who spent actually decades translating the beauty and the wonder of our planet and the cosmos. And so he was just one of many voices pointing out a scientific fact, however grim it might be, that at some point, planet Earth will cease to support life. And we hope that that is incredibly far away, billions of years from now. And we hope it's not much sooner through actions of our own or, or otherwise out of our control. But the bottom line is that there is no future without space exploration and space settlement long-term. Sure. What are your thoughts on the new landing on Mars? It was such an exciting day for me. I'm sure for yeah. you as well. It, it was incredible. It was really moving. I think, you know, to me, space exploration generally is just what what I love about it is I just think it's such a perfect encapsulation of human ingenuity and uh, you know the uh, human beings are capable of doing amazing things we're capable of landing a robot on another planet with precision on the rim of a crater and then operating it from another planet and we've done this multiple times Mars is a planet entirely inhabited by robots right now and that's all our doing and so I, I think it's extraordinary. And I think we keep pushing the envelope of what's possible. A Perseverance rover that just landed on Mars, as you mentioned, who's also carrying a small helicopter called Ingenuity. And that's going to be the first powered flight on another planet. Perseverance will be roving around the red planet, searching for ancient signs of life. Ingenuity, the helicopter, the drone will be surveying the land, looking for scientifically interesting spots to continue to explore. And so together, we, we really are able to just unlock some of humanity's oldest questions and mysteries. So where did we come from? You know, are we alone? What else is out there? It's like, these are the tools that we have in our exploration arsenal to be able to answer some of those questions. Yeah. So first of all, this is a great pub trivia question. If anyone is ever in this situation, if anyone ever asks you, what is the first living being sent to space? The answer is not monkey or cat or dog. It is fruit fly. <laughs> and so this was following World War II. There was a really keen interest in understanding the environment of space and how that may affect living creatures. Uh, certainly before we sent human beings, we wanted to know how dangerous is it? Could you survive a flight to space? 
And so fruit flies, very interestingly, actually have a lot of similar uh, genetic um, makeup that humans have. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of you have heard, you know, genetic makeup across different species. There's a lot of similarities, but fruit flies are, are one of those things that humans um, have a lot of similarities with, <laughs> interestingly, right? And so fruit flies were actually the first species not only to be sent, but also to be safely recovered from spaceflight. It was a very short up and down little hop, but they did briefly cross the boundary of space. And so they became our Earth's very first emissaries <laughs> to space. <laughs> you know, I, if I wouldn't have read your book, I wouldn't know that. So that, there were a lot of fun facts in there. So please, would you teach me and our audience something that we wouldn't have known if we wouldn't have talked with you today? Oh, yeah, it's a great question. Okay. Um, okay, one fun space fact <laughs> is that, and this doesn't really apply so much anymore, but some folks might remember back in the day, televisions, when you briefly had a dead channel, you would get all of that black and white static right. on the TV. Right. So that static was actually radiation from the Big Bang. That's what you were seeing. And so it's really interesting. Really? That, that black and white thing? Yeah, exactly. So that's, you know, space is everywhere. It's ubiquitous. You know, it's been a part of our life. It's, it's I think people sometimes underestimate how intertwined space capabilities are with our everyday life. Everything from our credit card transactions, our payment platforms, our GPS, our smartphones, our satellites, our international banking institutions, it's all powered by space-based assets floating around Earth and powered overhead. And so it really is, um, you know, quite intertwined with our daily life. Yeah, it's a great reminder that we're not that detached, that separated, and it's only for Kelly and those other people it's like it's part of our lives. Yeah, um, absolutely. I highly recommend get Kelly's book because I very much enjoyed it. It's not necessarily rocket science. And reading that book, it reminds us how we are in it, we are with it, and we're part of it, and we could impact it. So um, I highly recommend your book. I also Thank know you. about your clothing line. Yes. Are we, we going to be able to see more of it? As I, I, I love your uh, line. Hopefully soon. Yeah. I, you know, part of the, my, my best privilege of getting to work in science communication as well is pushing the boundaries of what it means to share my love of space. You know, some of the more traditional ways I do that are through talks and through my book, right. More academic approaches, but some of the more fun ways, like you mentioned, are sharing it in a different medium like fashion, which is, and beauty. It's something that is so important to me. I recently partnered with Sephora for a video series that's coming out soon. And so these are things that I, I think people contain multitudes, right? I, I would never want to be boxed in as just a space nerd, right? I, I also have these other interests, like you mentioned, with fashion, with beauty. And I love sort of um, being able to showcase all of those and apply a fun space lens to everything. Yes. Um, is What you're wearing, is that part of your line right now? This one isn't, no. Right now, so I had a, a more elevated fashion line a few years ago called Paper Rocket, it ended up being a giant money pit, <laughs> and but it was a great learning experience. And so more recently, I came out with a um, adult and children's line of space-inspired shirts and accessories. So I have little makeup bags, I have tote bags, I have um, sweaters and, and things like that that are available through my website. But I do hope. Yeah. Uh, so we can go to your website and order because yes, I love exactly. the clothing that your daughter wears. So yeah. Cute. 
Thank you um, so much. Thank you. And you know what? As you said, you should not be in a box. Uh, you always look beautiful, look sharp, oh. look camera ready, whatever you're doing. So there is no excuse to not. So it's just if Kelly can do it, if she can look uh, on point, her makeup is, her hair is, her, her outfit is, you know, it's inspiration to me. Like you bring in different, um, a fresh uh, point of view to the whole. I appreciate thing. that. Yeah. And, you know, it's important representation wise. I think when I was first starting out where there were a lot of places where I was the only woman in the room at the meeting, you know, uh, at the conference, it, it, I remember trying to tone down my love of beauty or fashion because I, I thought maybe I won't be taken as seriously if I'm wearing lipstick or I'm wearing heels or, right. you know, and I could kick myself because, you know, looking back now, I, when I think of my daughter, I want her to feel confident walking into any room, however she feels best and most right. empowered. And so I think it is, you know, important when I do go to space, I will be wearing a full face of glam for sure. <laughs> um, just because it makes me feel my best. Yes. If, if, you know, any woman looking up to you, it makes us want to vouch for you. Look, she's doing it. Look at her. Like she put on the suit and her hair is done and her makeup is done and she feels good about herself. Why not? So yeah. we support you. We love Thank you. Thank you. Continue to um, witness your journey. Is there any upcoming endeavor that you have coming up? that you can share with us? Yeah, my one big exciting piece of recent news is I uh, recently announced I'm going to be doing a children's book series. And I'm so excited about that. It's something I've been able to share my love of space with my daughter, who's three, Delta. And so this is just the next step for me to be able to engage an even younger audience. And so the first title in that book will be coming out in December of 2021. So just a few more months away. <laughs> Well, you have a lot of work to do, so I'm not going to take up too much of your time so I can get to all these wonderful things that you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You have a great day. Thank you, you everyone. Too. Bye. Bye. You know, life on Earth has an expiration date, but... Since we're on the topic, I'll, I'll, I'll share one quick vignette about Professor Hawking.